When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to open the voice gate so we have a very special show this week um basically the way it worked out two of our co-hosts two of our normal co-hosts could not make it this weekend um michael spears is getting his ass kicked by grad school which is something i'm sure many of our listeners probably know about um he has a big test on monday couldn't couldn't make it um wish you the best of luck in your grad school endeavors mike and Case, I think, had work or something. I don't know. Maybe he's chasing that Korean girl again. 
but whatever the case may be, case is not here. But since we didn't want to go any longer without giving you guys an episode, it's already been like five weeks, we have a very suitable replacement. The only man we could bring on from the Voice of Wrestling Network to replace two men, the king of banter, Mr. Joe M. Lanza. Joe, welcome to Open the Voice Gate. Well, I don't know if I'm replacing two men. I'm, I'm replacing a man and a boy, right? Are we calling Case a man? I, I don't know if that's appropriate. Uh, did he turn 18? But, Didn't he turn 18 finally? Actually, yeah, I think he did. But but is he really a man yet? I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, that's, he's, that's a good point. He's, he's going to be the young boy forever to me anyway. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but thanks for having me on. The, the, the thing about it is the last time I listened to this show – Milo was threatening to stab me or shank me or beat me up in a parking lot. So I'm kind of looking over my shoulder because I, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm waiting to get, like, shanked in the kidney like I'm in a prison yard or something. So um, I, I don't know. I'm a little bit nervous, to be honest with you. Was, I, I asked the question, was the, world, was the world ready for Milo and Joe on the same podcast? I mean, that's a lot of sass. It's two very different kinds of sass, but it's a lot of sass. So, Milo, are you gonna are you gonna kill Joe? We'll see. <laughs> that's very that's very. Uh... It's, up, it's it's up in the air. I think as as long as the topics don't don't delve into too much Shingo or too much Will Ospreay, we might be all right. But I'm uh, I'm definitely gonna be watching my words. I'm not in the mood to be to get stabbed today. That's for sure. Well, I don't know why Will Ospreay would come up, but who knows? I guess. I'll uh, find a way to shoehorn him in. We'll see. Oh, did Will? Did is there? Oh, yeah, you're right. There was there was at least one question where he could come up, theoretically. All right. So before we get into that, because we do have a lot of questions this week, I assume again because Joe's on the podcast, it's a rare chance to send him in Dragon Gate related questions. But I mean, this is cool just because you guys, whenever I listen to the flagship, you guys are basically complaining about how you never get a chance to talk about Dragon Gate. So. Here's your chance, basically. I know I'm fired up. I mean, it was great because I don't know, um, a few months after the King of Gate, actually, Alan brought me on to the uh, DKP show to do, and we did three hours just on the entire King of Gate tournament. Um, and that, that was really cool. So, yeah, it, we just always run out of time, it seems like, and, and Dragon Gate always gets bumped. So I'm real pumped up here to talk about some Dragon Gate for once. Yeah. I mean, usually on the, the flagship... It's I, I get why you guys have to do all the WWE talk, but like Jesus Christ, it's like every week it's the same shit. Like, yep, yeah, the booking isn't for us. Smashes were pretty good. Show went forever. The end. But the other know. problem, though, is sometimes I will have watched the show and he didn't, or he will have watched the show and I didn't, and yeah. then we can't do it. Well, yeah, but so. well, the, the dragon, and, and again, and, and the issues we had for, for people. For the people at home, the issues we had in actually getting the show off the ground here because of trying to actually make it so everybody could watch this Hurricane show, um, this show almost did not happen because Nico Nico is apparently like, I don't, I used to be able to let multiple people watch um, the Hurricane with my Nico Nico account and it just won't let you do that anymore, apparently, because they want to log in and just like, it, it basically tells you to buy it again. So, you, so never mind the one-week limit. Now if you want to watch it more than once, like even if I log back in and try to watch it more than once within a week, it tells me to pay another $15. Like 
Like, that's insane. But, you know, I, Dragon Gate apparently is never going to have, like, a Dragon Gate world from everything I've been told. So, Nico Nico is the best we get, and it's pretty terrible. Um, and, like, you know, then we're going to be talking about two shows here that haven't even dropped yet because they, they don't air on Gaora until the, the end of the month. So, you know, it's it's a struggle. In, in these, like, this is... Following Dragon Gate compared to following a lot of other promotions now is a struggle. Where, like, this kind of stuff, the two or three week delays, you know, the weird Nico Nico stuff, all that stuff looks way more, like, out of date now when you have New Japan World, you have DDT Universe, you even have Stardom. I mean, everybody has their own, you know. Doesn't, like, Ice Ribbon have... Who else has one? There's, like, some really small Joseph promotion that has one, right? I don't subscribe to this, but... Wave! Wave, okay, thank you. I knew it was one of them. Are you subscribing to Wave to catch the wave, whatever it's called, Joe? Uh, no, <laughs> unfortunately, I uh, I haven't been able to squeeze Wave into my pro wrestling budget. Um, I don't even just subscribe to DDT yet, which I plan on it eventually. But there's just, I mean, the, all these subscription services are great. I mean, in terms of being able to see stuff, but. Man, when you add it all up, you end up, you know, spending $200 a month on rest. It just gets, it's crazy. You can't afford it all. So. Yeah, I mean, I, you subscribe probably to Flow Slam and WWE Network, right? Which I don't subscribe to either one. I don't have Flow because oh, I wow. just, it's, I mean, there's just not enough. It's just WWN and basically nothing else. And I don't think that's worth the 20 bucks a month. So, uh, yeah, WWE Network, obviously I have to in New Japan World. Um, but those are the two I go with now, yeah. I think I have I have New Japan World DT Universe and, and the Stardom one. Although the Stardom one, like, I I try to watch it, but, like, some of those shows that are just, like, single cam are just really annoying. But, I mean, they do do the promo translations, which nobody else does. So you got to give them credit for that. Um, I don't, I'm really surprised that no one else has tried to do that yet. Like, you, you look at, like, a joke, like, why can this Joshi promotion that draws like 800 fans to Kirk and afford to hire, you know, an English translator that knows how to put together a video and nobody else can. It's really weird. But, I mean, at least we're getting the translations on New Japan's English site now. It's something. But I don't know. Um, so anyway, I guess we should transition to Dragon Gate. Um, we can start with the Champion Gate results. Even though, like I said earlier, we haven't been... No one's seen these shows unless you were at... No, no one even in Japan has seen these shows unless they're at the venue in Osaka. Uh, they're going to air on Gaiora, I believe, on the 21st. I could have that day off slightly. It's definitely coming up in the next week or so. So that's when they'll air on Gaiora. And then, um, obviously, we'll, we'll be able to talk about them on the next episode. But... A couple big results out of this. Um, first of all, the Brave Gate title match. This was the biggest surprise, I think, to most people. I think everybody had Linda Mann winning this, and instead we had Ata and Linda Mann going to the no contest, which sets up approximately the 10th, I think. Like, it's definitely... We're, we're approaching, sing, like, double digits here as far as times the Brave Gate has been vacated, and we're going to have a tournament this time, not just as a scissor match. But, yeah, I mean... They really love vacating the Brave Gate title. What have you ever like? In, you know, obviously, Joe, you're a longtime Dragon Gate watcher like I am. Have you have you have you ever like thought about why they love vacating this title so much? 
I don't know. Maybe because it's never, you know, it's always been viewed as a secondary title, and and they feel like maybe they can do some different or creative or ambitious things with it, and not necessarily damage it. I think if you did this with the Dreamgate repeatedly, uh, you know, it, it would damage the title. And there have been times where the Triangle Gate has been of higher esteem, and maybe they just don't want to damage those belts, and they feel like they can get away with doing this with something like the Brave Gate without. Uh, you know, damaging it in the fans' eyes, but I, I don't know. Maybe also over the years, haven't they had some bad luck too in terms of injuries and guys uh, having to leave tours and things like that? Yeah, which sort of forced their hands. That's happened too, but there's just there's so there's like a bunch of those like that, and there's also a bunch where they voluntarily vacated it. So like you know, I'm thinking of when um they had Mori beat Yoshino one year, but Mori vacated it because Gamma interfered. And then Gamma ended up with a belt anyway. And then right after Gamma did that open the Gamma Gate thing, uh, Yoshino beat him for that be- for the belt and then immediately vacated it. Um, there was also the time that uh, Yoshino won it again, I believe in 2013, and vacated it. Instead, he wanted the younger guys to fight for it. And then Genki Horiguchi <laughs> won the tournament for the belt. And it's like, okay, so much for the younger guys fighting for this title. Um but yeah, this has been so many times, and there's like, there was a time Flamita. I think Flamita did have that did have to return home, but I don't know if that was unplanned or not. You know what happened? I think I think with Flamita was he signed with. Remember he signed with AAA, and I think he had. Okay. I think he had to start with AAA, and that was kind of Dragon Gates out. Because remember, he just got frustrated because it was like a DQ finish or something like that, and he just abandoned the title and walked right out of the promotion. Yeah. So I think that was their cover, though, when he had to uh, start with the, with uh, AAA. The other thing, I, the other thing I understand about why they like vacating this belt so often is like the belt's plate itself, like was originally designed to break up into eight pieces, and they do the you know when they did the original tournament, they gave each wrestler a piece, and whoever could put the belt back together, you know, won the belt, and they've done that like multiple times with that gimmick. So you know where the belt comes apart, and you see who wins it. So I guess in a weird way, it's a feature of the belt itself. But yeah, it's just weird that we we get this so often. It feels like almost every other year. Um, Milo, were you surprised about the finish of this match? Was I surprised that a Berserk match ended in a no contest? Mm. John, is the sky blue? I guess that's a good. Point. <laughs> I guess that's a good point. But. Um. I wasn't surprised, but I think it's bullshit that, I mean, in a narrative way in-universe, it doesn't make any fucking sense that Ata should be stripped of his belt because Berserk interfered. Yes. I mean, well, did Ata kind of, well... No, Yamamura tried to even the field for Ata. I see, I see here. Okay. I'm I'm just trying, I'm reading the results here about, like, why... Okay, so... Oh, Maria... It was Maria. Did you see this? Was Maria? Yeah, Maria blamed both of them. Like, she came out and <laughs> blamed Ada and and Linda Man. And then, like, they that was kind of what got the ball rolling on the on the, on the title, vaca- title being vacated. But, yeah, Maria, that, uh, that shifty lady, <laughs> getting involved there. Um, okay, so that was the Brave Gate. The Triangle Gate main event, I was not really surprised by this at all. 
We had Shingo, Cyber Kong, and T-Hawk winning the titles, beating the Jimmies. Um, Milo, I assume you want to rant about this for a while, so. <laughs> Do you? No, you're not going to. T-Hawk pinned Saito in about 22 minutes from the night ride, by the way. I mean, I, I feel like you had to give Berserk something when it comes to titles. Like, they've just been, they've had nothing since Shingo lost to Dreamgate. But um, it is very unfortunate to me to end the Jimmy's reign, which the Jimmy's reign was a, a great deal of fun. Um, Joe, do you have any thoughts on this title change? You know, oddly, didn't the Jimmy's have injury issues during this title run? Uh, yeah, with Gucci. Yeah, and it, and that kind of speaks to your point earlier, where with the Brave Gate, they look for any excuse possible to vacate the title, but with this title, there's a good example of, of a team having an issue, champions having an issue, and they, you know, they, they didn't you know, give us a, a massive tournament to crown new champions or anything, but when it comes to these shows, I mean, I just need to see them play out. I need to watch them. I, I, you know, I, 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 I agree with Milo that it seems like bullshit that they're vacating the Brave Gate, but we have to see how the angle plays out. And, and and how how everything – I mean, it's hard just to read results and look at it and decide whether or not it's a bad idea. But on paper, I – again, I don't – again, I, I agree with Milo. I don't understand why it's being vacated uh, based on uh, interference and a no contest. Yeah. Um, but as far as the triangle gate goes, you know, um, I'm not really sure there were a lot more challenges left for the Jimmies anyway. But I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens going forward with Berserk as champions now. Although it should be noted that Cyber Kong is injured already, so who even knows if that's going to be more of a long-term thing and they'll have to vacate it. But um, that leads into the next night, though. This was the biggest surprise I think of the entire weekend for me. Shima and Dragon Kid retaining against BB Hulk and KZ in the Twin Gate match. I really thought Northern Tribe was winning this. Um, but instead, Shima pinned KZ the Meteora. What's, what's that, Milo? And once again, are you really surprised? I, I am surprised. I thought, they was, I thought they were building up Northern Tribe to win the titles. I mean, I get it. It's Shima, but, like, I really yeah, did think Northern... That's why I'm not surprised. <laughs> I really thought Northern Tribe was winning this, but what are you going to do? Um, and then the main event, Yamato retained the Dream Gate. What's up? <laughs> I was just saying, what, what, what can you do? I was like, I, was, I can think of a few things. I just need a plane ticket to Japan and a working flamethrower. Jeez, now we're burning Shima to death. This is, <laughs> this is every this is episode. Not, this is not a new thing. Yeah, this is every... Mild uh, threatening Shima or bodily harm is, is, a, is a weekly occurrence. I've heard these threats. I've been threatened, in fact. But, I mean, it's it's still never not shocking. I mean, you want to set the man on fire. This is, uh... this is Listen, this title reign isn't exactly knocking my socks off either, but, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we should pump the brakes on wanting the man dead. Oh my God. Um, and then the main event, the, <laughs> the Dreamgate title. Yes. Well, we know, we know you're kidding, Milo. It's okay. Milo's not actually going to... Yeah, the only Dragon Gate roster member I actually want dead is Shingo Takagi. Wow. <laughs> um, in the main event, Yamato retained the Dream Gate title, defeating Cyber Kong with the Choke Sleeper. Again, you know, if Kong had won this title, I don't know what would have happened, but thankfully 
It did not happen. I've, I've actually, from people who were there live, I've heard this match was surprisingly good. So I'm, I'm excited to see it myself. But I've heard it actually had a lot of drama down the stretch and was actually really exciting. So I'm excited to I see really that one. Know. Yeah, I really want to know what led to Kong uh, taking his mask off. Well, from what I from what I heard and what what people told me, it was like he took the mask off to to blow the mist, I think. But I could be I could I mean again my yeah I but the way I read I mean again this is me trying to read Japanese so it's very possible I'm not getting <laughs> the meaning correctly. But from what I read it it sounded like he took his mask off then blew the mist so it could easily be like a one means the other thing. But I could be wrong again. You know my my Japanese. Reading is not that advanced, so. Um, but yeah, so those are the Champions League shows. We'll see how they play out, but um, you know, there's a lot of weird results there that I don't think people really saw coming, and it speaks it speaks I think to how fluid the unit situation remains. So um, let's get into Corican, a show we've actually seen. The th- March third Glorious Gate Corican Hall looked to be stellar as usual. Um, the show opened with the Jimmys, Genki Horiguchi, Kanas, and Jimmy Kanda, teaming with Satyoko Boy to face Yosuke Santa Maria, the two rookies, uh, Yuki Yoshioka and Katsumi Takashima, and Dratsik Boy? How the hell do you pronounce this again? Dratsik Boy. Drastic. Drastic, okay. Like the word, like drastic. He's from, he's from Mexico, right? Yeah, he's a friend of Flamita's. Ah, okay. He was a D, he's one of those DTU guys. Um, this Dragon Gates had a connection with DTU for a number of years, and if you remember, he did a tour in either it was either 2015 or 2016 with Dragon Gate. I can't remember. 15. It was 16. No, 15. Oh, 15. Okay, yeah. And and according to uh, to the Joe Lanza sources, um, Drastic Boy he actually paid his own way for that tour because he very badly wanted to work Dragon Gate and, and, and get in with, with the company. And it looks like long-term it paid off because they've brought him back. So um, he's a guy that I've always liked. Um, I used to follow DTU very closely, but I don't anymore. But back when I was, it was Flamita and Jurassic Boy and guys like Rich Swan would do tours there, Davey Richards, people like that. And um, I'm glad to see that they must have liked his work the first time around. It took them almost two years to bring him back, but – but he's back, and I think he's a solid undercard guy, and I think he can do some good things. Well, the the Mexican wrestlers all love, you know, well, they all love getting the, those Japanese spots. I mean, if nothing else, just go look at the exchange rate for, like, yen to the Mexican dollar, and you can understand why they really enjoy getting these long-term Japanese spots. Um, so, yeah, there was an eight-man... This was an eight-man tag that only went about six minutes. Uh, Jimmy Kness pinning Yosuke Santa Maria with the Hikari no Wa. Um, this was about as fun an eight-man as you could have in six minutes, I guess. I mean, I enjoyed it while it lasted. It was very quick, though. I really, really love uh, how bendy um, Katsumi Takashima is. What do you mean? He's very flexible. Like he's metal, he's Oh, rough. bendy. Okay. I didn't, I didn't yeah, get bendy. so... Yeah, he's very he is very flexible. Yeah, he did that like weird backslide thingy to Genki. Right, where he turned it almost into like a backslide. 
I don't know what the term would be, like a backslide cradle or a backslide... Almost a bridge. Are you talking yeah. about the bridge? Yeah, like a bridge, basically. That'd be the, that'd be a good word for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm really impressed so far by Yuki Yoshioka in his short career so far. Like, he has... Obviously, you never know with these, you know, with, with young lines still in black trunks and stuff, you never really know. But he has, like, a presence to him that I think is already kind of becoming obvious. So I enjoy his work. See where he goes. I don't understand why Maria took the pin. Well, yeah, that, that's a great question. I, that, I was thinking that, too, when I was watching it. But... I mean, it's it baffling. It's, you got two. You got two young boys and and drastic boy. I mean, there's no reason. I did, to me, that has to be. I don't think that's an accident. I think that's got to. Who en, who ended up pinning Maria? Kness. I mean, do you think that leads to something down the line? Because it's usually not an act. Dragon Gate's usually very meticulous about things like this, and I don't. I don't I know that that was just I, accidental. I think, I think it's playing maybe not into something with Maria and Kness, but it could be playing into like a Maria slump story. But she's been getting pinned a lot lately. That's that's what I read it as, but I could be wrong. But yeah, I don't. It is, it is an interesting question when you have two young lions in there. But you know, I mean, the Akari Noa. The one thing I will say is it's been established over the years that Kness can pin anyone with that move. So I don't know if it really like is that damaging to lose that move, but it is very it is very weird when you look at it. Um, anything else about this opener? Not really. I mean, I mean there's not a ton to say. I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a, a really good for the amount of time it got and with the people involved. So, All right, so then we have match two, which I know Joe ended up skipping, but it was the, the Hollywood Stalker Ichikawa 2017 Tokyo finale because apparently he's done already here on March 8th. Um, so am I. <laughs> Don Fuji pinned him in 27 seconds with the elbow drop. They did the latest, the, the latest comedy for this with the soccer debate. The restart is that he stays in the ring, demands the restart. Everybody ignores him. Like it, the lights start going, and like it does that the in between match little like jingle, like, completely ignoring soccer in the ring. Kagatora's music hits. He comes out, and soccer's still pleading to to not move on to the next match. But so Don Fuji did, did eventually come back out, and the the three minute match that resulted was actually kind of entertaining because um, Stalker tried to go into like strong Stalker mode, and he kicked out of the elbow drop and tried his best to fight back. He got he, there, yeah, there was a ladder. I don't thank you for mentioning the ladder because I totally forgot about it. He brought it out. He said they were going to have a ladder match, and then the ladder never got involved again until after the match when Don Fuji threw it on him. It was very weird. But um, Stalker looked like he was firing up, and he had Fuji ready for the Inua Bauer German, but Fuji just fell on top and pinned him. But, yeah, this was, this was entertaining for what it was. Um, I, don't, I don't know why the ladder was there. It's a wonderful question. Probably only Stalker Ichikawa knows. But, um, <laughs> Milo, what do you think? Some, anything to what say about this? Think? I mean, what is, what is there to think? Yeah, <laughs> Fun. It's always yeah. fun when soccer's involved. Yeah. Joe apparently did not. Thought, Joe had to pick something to skip, and he picked probably the right thing. But. Yeah. Um, I guess we could just move on then. Jimmy Kagatora and Ben K. This went nine minutes and thirty nine seconds. Um, Jimmy Kagatora pinning him with the Guru Ma Kakeli. 
Um, it was a it's his cradle thing. So um, yeah, there you go. Um, it was a it was a good match. I enjoyed it. Well, yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, Ben K threw him around. You know, he did like the he was showing off his power and stuff. And then Kagator obviously tried to use his speed to counter. It was a very like a classic power versus speed match. I really um, like that, that aspect of it. Yeah. What do you I think of this match? You, oh, go ahead. I brought up the, the speed versus power thing because there's a whole, I mean, the whole portion. It didn't last very long. But there's a part of the match where Kagetora is trying to, like, catch Benkei in several, like, flash pins in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so, I'm just confirming that you're listening. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I kind of read that as like realizing that he can't beat Ben K on strength, and so he just resorts to sneaky tactics. Well, yeah, and it's also like it's a, it's a, it's kind of um, it's been a trope in Dragon Gate going back years that the big guys in Dragon Gate are very susceptible to the flash pins. I mean, you've seen it especially with Cyber Kong and Big Archimizu. But it wouldn't surprise me if they try to play that into Ben K in the future too. Where like that's their big weakness is they're very susceptible to flash pins. But um Joe, what do you think of this match? I think that they're doing a great job with Ben K in terms of how they structure his matches because look, everyone knows I'm a huge fan of this guy. I, I, I think he's got unlimited ceiling in terms of star potential and all those things, but among all of the young Dragon Gate wrestlers, I, I, I do think he's probably the overall the weakest worker of the bunch. I think he has some catching up to do in terms of his work, but, the, but they've been very clever in the way that they presented him. And this match was a good example because, uh, you know, he like, for example, he he won't sell sometimes for the veterans, which is crazy for such a young wrestler who isn't even uh, a year in. Um, but but they want to get over the fact that he's this massive powerhouse and 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 he's so strong. So they'll have him no sell, and they'll have him toss guys around. Even veterans, a guy like Kajitura has been around forever. For him to no sell a guy like that and just toss him around with those deadlift gunt wrench suplexes and everything else, they've really gotten over the idea that Ben K is a super powerful wrestler, and that really stands out on the Dragon Gate roster too. So. I think they've accentuated, they've done a great job accentuating his strengths and sort of hiding his weaknesses. Because he's not even close to a finished product yet in terms of the bell-to-bell, especially uh, with such a talented roster, which I always say is the most talented roster in the world. So with Ben K, it's been about the presentation and the clever ways that they've structured his matches that has really gone a long way in making him come off like uh, like a guy with such superstar potential. You mentioned the no-sell thing. Couldn't you see him in a, in a couple of years? Let's say he, he has this big moment where he wins the Dream Gate. I could totally see, like, a moment where, like, somebody, let's just pretend it's Yamato or somebody, hits their finisher on him, like the Galleria, and he just no-sells the finisher. Right, because they've, the big, they've established it over, right. you know, right from the start, right from the jump they've established that. And I think it was that, um, what was it, an eight-man tag or a ten-man tag with with the with the Shima and the veterans against the rookies, and he was actually still wearing the black compression shorts at that point? What was it, Milo? Oh. Milo, what was uh, it? You mean the match in? You mean the match in in Karatuan? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, he wasn't. He was uh, already Ben K at that point. Oh, he was Ben K by then. Okay, yeah. But, I mean, even from that point, I mean, and that's going back, what, what was, that was last November, year, right? That was November. Yeah, November. Yeah, I mean, even from that point, and, and you know, it, it's, it's he's been put in the situations where, like in that match, for example, where he was allowed to go toe-to-toe with Shima. And what was he, about two months into his career at that point? I mean, it, it, it was less than... Um, he, at that point, he was probably about... Probably about six months, I would think. Okay. Yeah, so still under a year, and it's it's they they established almost right from the jump that this guy is just different, and they presented him in a completely different way uh, than all of these other rookies. Um, and I don't think it matters much at all that he lost. I mean, um, they, they're they've gotten to the point where they've gotten him over with the fans, so it's okay that he loses, especially to a veteran like this, as long as he looks good in doing so. And he looked great in this match. He looked like you know. The, the powerhouse and 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 that power stuff is over with the fans and 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 he's on a good path. They they're pushing a lot of young guys at the same time here and they're doing a really good job with the balancing act of 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 not over pushing anybody yet and over exposing them and and just slowly getting everybody over and I think they're the Ben K is on the right path and this was a good match to uh to continue to accentuate his strengths. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with all of that. Um, Lionel, do you have any last words about this match? No, really. Okay, so moving I, on. I just I liked it. I said, I said what was for me like uh, a key point of that match. Uh, I already talked about that, so yeah, I just I liked it. I really yeah. did. Oh yeah, one thing, one quick thing. Uh, so happy that Ben K finally got rid of his of his. I'm going to try to pronounce it correctly. His mule? Bullet. Bullet. <laughs> I never know how to... I, 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 totally, I, I totally get why, why you would pronounce it that way, though. So do I, and from now on, yeah. I'm saying mule. That's mule. it. That's a thing now. That is awesome. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the French, that's the French way. Yes. <laughs> mule. I mean, look. But yeah, it's if, not he cut that off. He did cut off the mule. All right, so match four. Um, KZ and Flamita against Jimmy Susumu and Ryu Jimmy Saito. Uh, KZ continuing his recent, um, well, his, you could say his recent elevation out of losing in the two Twin Gate matches, but still. Uh, he pinned Ryu Saito in about 14 minutes of the impact. This was a really fun tag while it lasted. I mean, you look at the four guys in there, how could it really not be? But um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, Flamita did all you know. He did some wha- a couple wacky dives, and KZ still showing off that brand new bod and everything, you know. Um, oh, is, do we have Joe's dog running in on the podcast? Dog? I thought I, I, thought I heard a dog. I did a quick but, mute, so yeah, they're, <laughs> they're going insane over here. So I'm muting again. <laughs> But um, but yeah, this was KZ and Fumina against Jimmy Sumo and Jimmy Saito. It was a fun match. What what did you think, Milo? Um, I liked it. I liked it. I liked uh, KZ being elevated, but I really have to question um, how committed Dragon Gate are to that elevation. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's clearly above a loss post at this point now. Like yeah, he's... of course. But the thing is that, and I think I was talking about 
about this with Mike um, on Twitter, um, that Dragon Gate are being really cute with their whole, oh, you know, we're waiting for the people who are injured to rehab and see what we can do, blah, 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 blah. The problem is that you can't wait forever. You, yeah. You, you can't, like, elevate guys only halfway uh, in case you need to, like, send them back down once your injured star comes back. That's my issue, and I love, you know, I love KD, and I love seeing him, you know, getting more wins and um, becoming more important and stuff like that. The problem is that I don't think I'm asking too much when I ask that his elevation not be relegated to mostly meaning, meaningless wins. Because I mean, it would be nice, it would be nice to see him get a title for sure. The thing is that it's half-assing it, and that's what I've been really um, critical of Dragon Gate about for the past few months, is that they, they're half-assing everything. And, you know, thankfully they kind of redeemed themselves um, this, this month with this show, which we'll talk about uh, when we talk about the main event. But this really feels like another kind of like, I don't know how to. I don't know how to put this. It kind of feels like they're not willing to commit to this, and that's exemplified by the two failed Twin Gate challenges. Like, what is stopping them from actually going that one extra step and actually making Casey's elevation mean something? Yeah. Well, it, so if he let's say I don't know if it's going to happen. If he wins the Brave Gate tournament, would that mean something to you? Even though he's held that title before. Of course. I mean, you know, like I don't even I don't even really want him to win it. I feel like he'd be more suited now for a title like the Twin Gate. Um, if we're talking in, in terms of like hierarchy and stuff like that, but. I just need something to prove that they're not just fucking around waiting for people to return and that they're actually committing to doing something that is, um, I feel, long overdue. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from here. And I, I, I'm, I've been pretty frustrated with the start and stop nature of his push pretty much all year long, but... For sure, now that he has the new body and the new gear and the fans are more into him than ever, I don't know why they won't just, like, pull the trigger here. Um, but, yeah, what, what do you... I guess, Joe, what do you... If you want to talk about the match or just what you think about the KZ push in general. Well, to KZ, I mean, the new look was... That was sort of a deal where it's like you didn't realize someone was stale until they made the change, and then it's like, wow, that this is a, such an improvement. I mean, I think he looks like a million bucks now, and I think um, his old look had had definitely gotten stale, and I, and you don't, I didn't even realize it. Um, but you look at him, and he's 30 years old. He really – he has been elevated to a degree. Like Shiva both is of, 39 years old. <laughs> I, I didn't get his 40. I haven't even finished my point. Jeez. 
I, there it is. The stab attack has occurred. It, 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 that's it. There's the stabbing. I, I knew it was coming, but I haven't even finished my point. I mean, uh, you, know, you know, feel free to bury me, but let me let, let me make my point first. Jeez. Uh, but yeah, no. But Casey's 30 years old, and my point was going to be that um, you have all of these young wrestlers in this company under the age of 25 coming up. You know, whether it's Big R or uh, Aita or Linda or Yamamura, who we're all going to assume I'm going to just, you know, go nuts about when we talk about the next, ma- you know, a couple matches from now. Uh, even even Maria, I think, is, is still only about 25 years old. And, and Ben K, who we just talked about. And you have to wonder, are some – look, not all of these people are going to work out. Some of them are just going to be solid mid-card wrestlers. Some of them – you know, might get injured and be forced to retire. Some of them um, uh, might just they're they're, they're uh, they, they they might just be stalled in their development. But some of them are going to work out and be the stars that we think that they could be. And you have to wonder: is that generation going to bypass somebody like Casey, who took years and years to finally get elevated, even to the mid card level that he's at now? To me, this is someone who I would worry about being passed up by the generation coming up behind him. I think it's a legitimate concern. Um, I, I think when put in a position to deliver, he has. Uh, I, I don't know if I see a, a superstar ceiling on him. It might be too late for that anyway. Uh, but he's definitely someone who I'd like to see them con- continue to at least give a chance to progress and move up. And I do think things like the new look and, and like you said, John, not being a lost post anymore, all encouraging signs that they do believe in him to an extent, but he's definitely someone I see who could easily be passed up by at least three or four of the people coming up quickly behind him. He's, by the, by the way, I, I looked this up because I was curious when you said it. Yeah, Maria is exactly 25. That's crazy. Like, doesn't it feel like she, it feels like she's been around for yeah exactly it feels like she's been around forever right I mean between that gimmick then you know the super shed long yep yeah the original young lion I mean it's just crazy but yeah she's been around, she's only twenty five um uh, but yeah I, I I see what you're saying about KZ and the generation behind him and that's why I would like to see I would have liked to see him get this Twin Gate reign and get you know something in here while he has a chance. And that's why I almost... I can totally understand where Milo is coming from when Milo gets upset with Shima and some of the other... Like, like, is there really any reason to have, you know, 40-year-olds with the Twin Gate title when you have all this... You have all this middle-generation talent, all this young-generation talent even coming up behind them? Like, this should be KZ's time. And instead you have, you know, Shima and Dragon Kid having this really boring Twin Gate reign. So I don't know. It just it no. doesn't. Go ahead. Sorry, finish finish your point. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. Okay, no, I was just gonna say, and I know this is going to sound so disingenuous because it's coming from me and all of the stuff that I've said about Shima before. But do you remember when we talked about Monster Express and their Triangle Gate reign and how half the time you guys forgot that they had those titles? Yes. Yeah, that's me with. CK1's Twin Gate reign. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the like Twin Gate... They couldn't care less about being champions unless there's a title match. Yes. Which is kind of like what you guys were criticizing Monster Express for. 
Well, the, I feel like the Twin Gate almost feels less important with them as champions than it has in a long time, which is obviously not good. Like, like Susumu and Kagatora felt like Twin Gate champions that cared about being Twin Gate champions, and I don't know if the same is true. With Shima, with Shima, the problem with Shima especially is everything other than the Dream Gate, it feels like, it almost feels like it's below him because of his status and all the years he's had on top. So this is why I don't like these long Shima title reigns or other belts because, like, it, it almost feels like the Twin Gate doesn't, it doesn't matter to him, like you said, and I, I, don't, I don't know. I pretty much agree with you that this Twin Gate reign has been not very good. I hope they end it very quickly here. But it it hasn't been good. I think that if the idea is to have them hold it for a, a very extended period of time, and then use that long reign to put over a couple of younger guys, then I can understand what the plan was. But while it's going on, I agree. I, it, you do almost forget that they're champions until there's a title defense, and it has not been good. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how CK won against um, Northern Tribe ends up being, but I'm not, I don't have high hopes for that match. But yeah, so that was KZ. Oh, go ahead, Milo, what's up? No, I, I was going to say, why, like, why don't you have high hopes? Well, first of all, because BB Hulk has been, no, eh? I can, I can understand, yeah. Yeah, and like, um, I don't, and, and the crowd, I, don't, I, I think the crowd is going to be behind Hulk and KZ trying to win these titles, and I don't know what the reaction is going to be when CK1 retain again, but I could be I could be totally off base on that, but that's just my read of how the situation is going to unfold. I think Dragon Gate fans in Japan are pretty tired of this reign, too. Do, do you think the idea could be that they beat all of these sort of veteran pairings to set them up to lose to a younger team and maybe a hot Corkin match at some point? It could be. Um, I, what, what I worry about is... I worry that the CK1 is going to hold these train gate titles all the way to world, and instead of losing them to a young team, it's going to be to, like, Mochizuki and Big R Shimizu or something. And yeah, See, that'd be, R- that would be a huge mistake. It's got to be to a younger pairing, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's, that's where I think this is going, because I think it's going to Mochizuki and Shimizu winning, because, you know, they, they do a lot. Mochizuki and Shimizu team up a lot. Um, Shimizu is young-ish. And never held a t- never held a title beyond, I guess, the Triangle Gate. Um, wait, um, no, no, you have the you know, you have the Twin Gate with T Hawk for two seconds. Yeah, so you're right. Sorry, I totally forgot about that. Big T. Um, but yeah, so they, so Big R, Big R held the Twin Gate for two seconds. So it'd be like building up to him getting the belts back. Um, and then obviously you play into the Mochizuki Shima never ending rivalry too, but. Yeah, I'd be. That's where I think it's going. I'd be pretty disappointed if that's the case, but I could. I we'll see. I guess I could easily be wrong. It happens often on this podcast. So, um, all right, moving on. The semi-main event: Yamato and BB Hulk defeating Mochizuki and Shimizu. We just talked about with Hulk pinning Shimizu in 13 minutes with the first flash. Um. I, this match was okay. I don't remember loving it or anything. I, Big R's kicks are were kind of the highlight again. We're throwing these big, giant, beefy kicks. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have a strong feeling on this match one way or another. So if anyone else has anything to say about it. I, I think I agree. With, 
I think I agree with you when it comes to Hulk. I mean, I've, just the least I've been interested in Hulk in a long time. And um, I think Yamato's title run, is, there's just something about Yamato when he's the Dreamgate champion where I just lose interest in him. I, and, and I think that's been a problem. So that them as a team and and their that unit just does nothing for me. So um, the match was fine, but I I could have lived without it. I will say the the Amato title reign. I'm coming around a little bit to him as champion, but in I still think he should have lost it to Naruki Doi um, back at Final Gate. But he he at least the the title reign is working for me a little bit more. I feel like the the big problem before that was it was completely overshadowed by the Tozawa leaving thing. But with Tozawa very firmly in the rearview mirror now, I think he works okay as champion. But but yeah, BB Hulk BB Hulk has not been great since he came back from injury and you know, I, I totally I understand it because, you know, it was a very serious injury he came back from. But yeah, I mean he really doesn't do anything for me either. And I was not a Hulk hater prior to this at all. Like I know a lot of people have always hated Hulk, but you know, I enjoyed him a lot as a as a heel in Blood Warriors and Mad Blanky. I enjoyed his title reign to a degree. Um, you know, I, and he was a huge. I liked him a lot back when his his original run. But yeah, this this run has done nothing for me. And Tribe Vanguard, the state of that unit is is pretty kind of like it. Kind of they kind of need to move on because it's really not working. It, it never has worked, and it's not working at all. So I don't know, Milo. Do you have any def- words of defense for? Hulk or Tribe Vanguard? No, but I did want to talk about the match. Okay. Um, <laughs> see, John, I kind of I get the point that you're making about how it would be a mistake for CK1 to lose the Twin Gates to a team like Mochi and Shimizu instead of a pairing of two young guys. Like, I completely understand and see where you're coming from. The thing is that I think you picked a bad example because I think that this team is so fun, and I really, really love them together. <laughs> well, and I would not be opposed to them winning the Twin Gates together at all. Okay, I wouldn't hate it either, but I would like to see the. I, I agree with Joe. There should be two young guys, but no, no, no. Like maybe think, when, when Ishida comes back, like Yamamur and Ishida. When Ishida comes back, that'd be perfect, actually. But I don't know. You have the over-generation student no, I, I, beating the over-generation I think you now. made a valid point. I was just saying that I think the example was unfortunate, given what I, was, what I wanted to say. Okay. So, talk about the match, then. Go ahead. No, I just did. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I, just, no, I just wanted to say, I, I don't think it was a very remarkable match at all, but I do love that team of Bedar and... Um, and Mochizuki, I think they, I think they gel really, really well together. There's just something about them as a sort of mentor and pupil kind of thing that works. That just works. And um, you know, it's it's also kind of cool to be reminded of um, the olden days of Dia Hearts, because um, Bidar held his first title with with Mochizuki um, and Dragon Kid, uh, the Triangle Gate. So, you know, I just, yeah, it was kind of a nothing, like, not a nothing match, because I did enjoy it, but it's a match that was of the quality that you would expect for me, uh, for Dragon Gate in, in Kodakuen Hall, um, 
but that team of, of Bedar and Mochi is something that I really, really, really enjoy a lot. Okay, that's fair. Um, all right, so moving on to the main event then. The over-generation with Doi versus Reserve headhunting match where the winning unit could claim any member of the opposing unit. Um, this went almost 28 minutes. It was a very long match. Takahiro Yamamura pinning Punch Tomonaga with the Stardust Press. Is, is that the first time he's ever used that move? I don't remember ever seeing him use it before. Does anyone else remember oh, him I'm using that move? I'm sure he's used it before. Really? Okay. I don't remember ever seeing him use it, so maybe I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, that, this was this was probably like to a degree this saved the show for me, where to the where the undercard really wasn't anything that special, but the, this main event was really entertaining, I thought. And the only downside I will say is the first half had way too much Punch Tomonaga. I don't ever mm-hmm. need to see Punch Tomonaga in main events, and I don't definitely don't need to see him in there for like long the long stretches he was in there for. Um, like just seeing yeah, Punch. He got, he got his ass beat though. He did, but like, I mean, just and I thought he I, perf- I thought he performed better than usual too. Okay, well, I'll, which I'll isn't exactly a super high bar. I mean, we're not. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying he was. He wasn't Mitsuhara Misawa in there, but he. You know, I thought he was better than his usual. You know, slightly below average self. Yeah, I mean, he was he was fine, I guess, but I don't know. I just don't need to see him that much in my main events in Dragon Gate. Especially with this roster, just, just to have Punch Tomonaga in there was just like, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, the match was, the match was good though, I liked it. I don't really, other than that, other than too much punch, I don't have a lot of complaints to make about it. Um, what'd you think of this show? I know you, you basically just saw it, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was great. I mean, like you said, I think it was a an average show with a really great main event. It was just, it was just super fun. This was your typical crazy uh dragon gate quirk and hall main event where there's what was this uh, a 10-man match or an eight-man match a 10-man match right yeah so there's there's 10 bodies flying around the closing stretch is insane and of course the big story is yamamura who they've made in uh in two shows three matches in two shows they've made this guy and they've created i will say this they've made a star in that building I don't know if it's going to translate immediately everywhere else that they go, but in that building, Yamamura is a star. And they did it on, the, on really the back of, of, of three matches culminating with this one. Um, because they were, they, they, these fans were 1,000% behind him. They popped huge when he scored the pin. And it, it just, it, this is a perfect example, and this exemplifies what this company has done with these wrestlers under 25. This is the template. In terms of if you're a pro wrestling booker, this is the template on how to get young wrestlers over. They've done it one at a time, whether it's Big R or Lindemann or Ben K and now Yamamura. You go right down the line. They've done it one at a time, and they've been so smart with all of them in getting them over one by one with the fans to the point where it's just incredible, the incredible depth of talent they have 25 and under. It's just insane. And, and this guy's the latest example, and I didn't see this coming yet. I had no idea they were going to go all the way with this guy this quickly to get him over and 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 it worked to perfection and 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 you know this all started on a show where he wrestled twice in the span of about 90 minutes didn't win either match 
Keep that in mind. He didn't win either match. He had a draw, and then he lost. And they, they got him over without a win in two matches, and, and, and to the point where in this match, he was the star of the match. Uh, they, focus, they feature him at the end. He scores the fall. The place goes nuts. I mean, this is just brilliant pro wrestling booking. I don't know who's booking this company now. I don't think we're ever sure who's booking this company. I know Horiguchi gets credit for it a lot of time. But whoever's behind the, the pushes of these young wrestlers, especially this guy, I mean, it, it, it just, I wish we knew who it was so we can give them more credit. I mean, this is an amazing job. I mean, this guy, you know, where was this guy two months ago? He was just, you know, a, a, a good, a, we all recognized that he was a good young wrestler sort of floating around uh, in the background of overgeneration. And now we're looking at this guy like he's a future star. It's amazing uh, what they've done with him. And, and I, you know, this is the one match. I mean, if you don't have time to watch the whole show, I think everyone listening has to make time to watch this match and watch how it all played out. It just, just a ton of fun and, and brilliant booking. And I can't say enough about Yamamura, but I, I'm, I'm – I'm assuming that both of you are also just gonna, you know, speak very highly of this guy, of this guy and what they've done with him. What do you think, Milo? Um, I'm. First of all, it, I really liked the match. I thought it was. I mean, it was your standard crazy Kodakuen tag match uh, main event. Um, but I really, there's a, something about the way the match was built that I'm hoping I'm not like the one, the only one who noticed it because maybe I made it up in my head because that's, you know, whatever. Um, I really love noticing that over generation used a lot of like double team maneuvers, triple like not triple team, I don't know if that's a like that's a thing, but whatever. And like helping each other into moves like um Shima helping Eita with a moonsault and stuff like that. And Berserk almost did none of that. This all um really just made me think about the Berserk versus Monster Express losing units as band match. Um, from October? October. Yes, that's correct. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because I did, um, you know, I reviewed that show for, for Voices of Wrestling, and um, I talked about how that match, Reserve vs. Monster Express, was very much built around that idea of, you know, fighting for each other and then uh, fighting for yourself, which with Monster Express really fighting um, for one another and Verzard being, you know, the villains who are mostly in it for themselves as individuals. Um, And back then, Verzard had won. And this time, um, Over Generation and Doi win, and I liked this sort of, you know, whether it was intentional or not, I like being able to notice this sort of parallel. You know? Yeah. No, it makes sense what you're saying. I like, just, I, just, I just like being able to notice this sort of thing, and um, being able to also derive, you know, satisfaction from it. Because, Honestly, and I talked talked about this now on maybe three or four of, of this sh- uh, episodes of this show. I don't know what I would have done in, if Berserk had won again. 
I know, like, seriously, I know this is funny and stuff like that, because I'm always, like, losing my shit about it. But I really don't know if I could have, like, done with one more. Because I was already, like, I was already ready to... Uh, to kind of just, uh, like, kind of push Dragon Gate aside when Berserk won um, in January, uh, February. And, um, and I didn't watch any Dragon Gate until, like, that might have aired uh, before the March Karakuen until I watched that show yesterday. Um... But quite frankly, if Berserk had won, I'm not even sure I would have watched it, and I'm not sure I would be here doing this show. Mm. Um, because you guys know that I was, like, reaching really, truly a breaking point um, with Berserk and how overly dominant they'd been booked. Um, so, yeah, my whole point was that I like being able to notice this sort of parallel of, you know, good versus evil and the power of, like, friendship and teamwork versus the power of just being dicks. Um, <laughs> yeah. With, you know... <laughs> the, the power of dick is being discussed here on, uh, on this show right now. I didn't hear anyone mentioning Dolph Pro. Oh, wow. Isn't it, Listen, isn't, isn't um, it the power of cocaine and dick and homosexuality, yeah. but that's really just uh, the power of homosexuality is always present on this podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the Berserk won back in October. You know, it's in Monster Express and everything, and it it really them losing this match to Over Generation and Doi. Um, with this sort of match match um, structure, with Overgeneration pulling off a lot of team maneuvers and uh, doing a lot of stuff for each other, while Berserk were too focused on you know their own individual goals, with uh, you know Punch and Shima and Seahawk and Yamamura and uh, Lindemann and Ata um, and Shindo and Doi, um, that was very interesting to me. I think. Uh, I think it really the fact that there was this this clear narrative um, improved my enjoyment of the match because I'm someone who is very story driven and um, and I've said I've said this before that story and emotion is important to me in wrestling above everything else. Um, which, you know, is maybe I'm in the minority, maybe people, you know, think that's the quote-unquote wrong way of looking at it, but I can't really help that that's what I prioritize and what I personally um, think is most important when I watch wrestling. Well, that's where um, you make your personal connection. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's actually the preferable way to, to enjoy wrestling. I think it's a I think a colder way to enjoy wrestling is just to uh, enjoy it from a, a quote unquote work rate perspective or match quality perspective. I mean, um, you know, I, I like both of those things. But what but but what what you're really talking about is is where you make that personal connection. And there's no, that's definitely not the wrong way to enjoy wrestling at all. There is no such thing, Mm-mm. by the way. So. Anyone who tells you there is is basically someone you shouldn't trust. 
Mm -mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just, you know, people might think that I'm like reaching or um, seeing things that aren't there and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, by the way, (laughs) that's always that's always been a thing I do. Uh, (laughs) I I have a very severe case of paranoid personality disorder, so I'm all about things that aren't there. But, but here's um, the thing, though. They, that, 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 I don't necessarily... See, when people break down television shows or movies, um, you see sort of the same thing where you may read into a character differently than somebody else did, or I don't think it's seeing things that aren't there. It's just... It, and I don't think it's necessarily creating narratives that don't exist. It's, it's just reading into these characters in a way that maybe just someone else didn't notice or, or in a different way that other people do. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't buy into this idea that you're, 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 you're sort of creating these own narratives for yourself. It's just how you're perceiving the story, which is fine. I think that's a, that's a great way to look at things. And I think that's an awesome way to enjoy wrestling because again, these are it, 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 it's making a deeper connection with you than just watching it from a raw perspective of breaking down the quality of the work or, or things of that nature. That's 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 cold. You're not going to have a personal connection with that. So um, I wouldn't if, if you're being too hard on yourself for that, I wouldn't be. I think we all do that to some extent. Where look, anyone who's ever read any of my New Japan reviews knows that I, I mean I, I I delve into that territory a lot when it comes to breaking down some of these bigger New Japan main events. Where it's just I, I don't think they're self-created narratives more as as much as they're just seeing the narrative in a way that maybe other people aren't. I don't know if I'm I'm making my point coherently here, but it's I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't have an issue with 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 viewing wrestling that way at all. I think I think that's that's that next level enjoyment where where it really goes from just being sort of an eye candy sort of entertainment to something a little bit deeper that makes more of a connection with you. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, that's that's definitely the way that I see it. I I'm very invested in characters and stories over athletic performance. Like, of course I'll be delighted to watch a match that's a really, just a really great display of athleticism and wrestling ability, but if it's soulless, I probably won't enjoy it as much as I would enjoy a match that's a little bit messy, that's not perfect, but that tells a great story and that develops and, and shows me... Uh, interesting and compelling characters. I think soulless is a great word because I'll give you a good example. Sometimes people recommend like these great lucha matches to me and I, look, I'm a very casual lucha viewer. I, 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 you know, and I'll watch these matches and, and I can appreciate the athleticism. I can appreciate even the psychology of the match or the storytelling, but because I'm not, deep into the lucha world and I may not necessarily understand the backstories or the histories it does come across soulless and then I can't appreciate these great matches the same way that a hardcore lucha fan does so what you're saying absolutely makes sense it's the same reason why I've sort of given up on trying to convert people to Dragon Gate right because you know Dragon Gate more than maybe any other promotion it, it, it is so vital to understand the backstories of these characters and what's going on. I think, 
to mm-hmm. truly appreciate the company. Yeah. Um, the thing is, okay, so I totally understand, like, what you're saying and uh, the way that you're viewing things as, like, not, not knowing the story and not knowing um, the characters can... Um, Uh, lessen your enjoyment of a match. Um, but what I meant, like, what I kind of meant by soulless is that, like, there's times where I've watched a match from a promotion that I, I like, that I don't watch or that I, I just started watching and that was a match that, I, that got me into it. Um, and these things can kind of jump out at you. And sometimes they don't, and that's fine. Um, that, you know, if you don't know the history of these characters in Lucha and the story that they're trying to tell, I can totally understand that the match just doesn't connect with you on that level. Uh, what I meant by soulless is more like... And I, 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 didn't, I didn't really want to bring it up, but... The reason that I stopped watching WWE is because that's what it felt like to me. This is exactly, <laughs> I feel exactly the same way, yeah. Is that um, the stories and the characters that WWE is trying to put forward come across to me as very... Like, fabricated and artificial are well, not the right words forced. because all, all wrestling is fabricated and artificial. Milo, how about forced? Um, yeah, forced is a much better word. Thank you, John. Um, and watching like Dragon Gate, New Japan, um, you know, the, what, some even like uh, Noah, DDT stories in in the promotions that I now really watch and dedicate my my time to. The reason that I watch these promotions and dedicate my time to them is that their stories. Um, very rarely feel forced and their characters very rarely feel like they're trying too hard to make me understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. Whereas I would call WWE so less, well, first of all, because, you know, the McMahons, um, but also because what I can remember of the time that I stopped watching WWE because I was becoming so dissatisfied with it compared to the rest of the things that I was watching, is because everything just felt so forced and so devoid of any actual creative drive. It's it's a very shallow company in that they run pay-per-view cycle to pay-per-view cycle, right? So there's no depth to the characters. Mm-hmm. I think is is sort of mm-hmm. what you're trying to say well, too. And they, and they ask you, they ask you to forget. They, they, not only is there no depth, the way they present it half the time is presented in a way where, like, it's almost like you're asked to forget what these fucking characters are doing. Never mind, like a year ago, like six months ago, you know, like you're just asked to forget. It. Like if you remember it, it's a detriment to your enjoyment. Right. Of, that's what correct. Really got me. Yeah, because if you remember anything that happened before the previous pay-per-view cycle, it, it, it doesn't – it's almost like once a pay-per-view happens, 
it, it, there's like a reset button pushed on on just about every character on that show because they're starting over with something different on the next pay-per-view cycle. Whereas in Dragon Gate, like everything that ever happens to a to a wrestler in, in a place like Dragon Gate or, or even New Japan plays into their larger narrative moving forward. And and they and, and especially Dragon Gate, they will pay you off on things that happen as as you guys well know, they will pay you off on things that happened a decade ago at times. Yeah. And and you almost never see that with WWE with the with the with the exception of people like the Undertaker or your tippy top legend types and not even always with them either. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I totally understand where Milo's coming from now with the soulless thing because it is soulless because what has you know someone like Dolph Ziggler done that's mattered <laughs> 6 months ago let alone 6 years ago? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Everything, you know, just switches on a dime with these characters. And then how can if, – if, if emotional investment is the number one thing for you, that's the wrong company for you. Because how can you get emotionally invested in, in – in, in, you know, I, I used Ziggler as an example, but you could really pick anybody on the roster. And, 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 and you can't because nothing they do – you eventually realize that nothing they do matters long term unless they're the Undertaker. Ziggler is such a perfect example because, like, if you look at his career history, he go he was in the Spirit Squad, right? That was his original gimmick. So he went from male cheerleader to guy who's banging Vicky Guerrero to like what um to to like a guy who I guess has like that little sidekick thing with AJ Lee and Biggie Langston to babyface all of a sudden to like generic show-off person to heal again with really... I, I, I don't even know what the explanation behind his latest heel term was, but if you look at his character now, what the fuck does that have to do with anything that happened in the past, you, you know, like almost a decade? What does that have to do with any of it? And you, you, <laughs> left, you left a very important one out, too. What remember that he was... Remember he was Kerwin White's caddy. Oh! You forgot about that one. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Which, if Eddie Guerrero hadn't died, who knows how long that would have that could have changed the. If you want to talk butterfly effect, that could have changed the entire course of his career because that gimmick wouldn't. You know, obviously they felt it was insensitive once Eddie died to to continue presenting Chavo yeah. as a white guy. That's what made it insensitive. But <laughs> right, right, that pushed them past their limits. But I mean, he he was yeah. I mean, he was Chavo's sidekick when Chavo was doing a a, a white face character, basically. I mean, they basically uh, ooh, tear- uh, uh, ooh, oh, I mean, ooh, what ooh. they were doing with that? Well, whatever they, whatever you want to call it, that was just like <laughs> that was really bad. What else would you call it? I mean, it was just I bizarre. Know. I mean, they were presenting really, him as a Caucasian. It was really weird, and like they it had was- all these all these quotes where he's like, "If it's not white, it's not right." It was like, "Oh my god." Yeah, this is, uh, this is like this is like 2005, and they were doing that. Okay. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> um, Dolph Ziggler I, is a great example of that. They, I, they have the characters have no history in WWE. Uh, I did have I did want to say something else about the the, the Dragon Gate main event. Is this is a Dragon Gate <laughs> podcast, not <laughs> a not a not a burying WWE podcast after all? Um, is that you know with Dragon Gate? I've talked about them, you know, how frustrating it was that they were stalling uh, with Casey's elevation and stuff like that um, because of, like, wait, maybe waiting for Yoshino or whatever, whatever, whatever. But where I criticize them, I also have to give them credit. 
because I still love Dryden Yaden, and I still think that they're capable of doing great things. And Yamamura, over the past two months, went from the, the over-generation young boy with maybe the least credentials and or personality to a freaking made man in the span of two shows. Yeah. Well, we, and, Joe, talk, Joe talked about this before, but, like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's amazing how fast they got him over with just, you know, yeah, a, win, a win, a loss, and, and a draw. He went one, one, and yeah, one. Yeah, and... Mm-mm. That's really what I what where why I'm saying that you know where I where I criticize them I also have to give Dragon Gate a lot of credit because they took a huge risk with Yamamura because he's not exactly someone who had done anything memorable up to that point he's not someone who was like very far along into his career because he's been. Um, he debuted in 2015, right? Yes, 20, 2015. That's correct. It was like right at, um, it was right before Overgeneration formed, like a few months. So you know, very very early into his career, not really anything memorable to his name, um, and definitely, I think a lot of people, including I know uh, people on this podcast, I'm pretty sure Mike. Um, thought that he was, you know, the weakest of his team with um, with Kaito Ishida, and so you know, a guy that at, when you first think about it, that does not sound like a recipe for success at all. But they took that chance on him, and it paid off in a huge way because he is so popular. Yeah. He is so over. Uh, his win got a huge reaction. Um, just really everything he did in that match, people were really hyped up for everything he did, with whether he was like standing up to T-Hawk or he was like having it out with someone else. Um, that was just people were really invested in him and that, that they managed to do that, to do that on this, over the span of two shows and three matches is really remarkable. And it's also a testament to how hard he has worked to make this um, to make this work for himself. Because yeah. he he you know he was told that he was getting that opportunity, and he knew that he like could not screw it up like screw it up. And that is something that is very very sat- satisfying to see play out um, and work out. And, and no. think about this. This is amazing to me too. The 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 first match, and we maybe we can call this like his the Yamamura three match series: the draw, the loss, and now the the huge win in the main event. That first match, they trusted Big R Shimizu, who's all of twenty four years old and less than five years into his career, to carry that kid through the most important and vital match of his career, which really set the stage for this elevation. It was you know Mm-mm. it wasn't a, a Kajitora or a Susumu who you would totally trust in a spot like that. It was another kid. It was Big R, tw- all all of twenty four years old. You know I I don't think enough is being said about the great job that Big R did in that draw as well, working with this guy because that that if that match doesn't work, 
if that draw doesn't get over to the extent that it does, if they can't get the story across in that match, none of the rest of this works. That was the key match in this whole deal, and they put that on the show. Big R. Shimizu is 24 years old, and he's already been put in a position to get a younger wrestler over. To me, that's insanity. That's crazy. I can't even think of another example where a wrestler this early in their development was put in a position to get another young wrestler over uh, uh, to that same level. I, I, that, that, that's fascinating to me. It was very, it was very interesting. Like it's, it's hard to find a parallel off the top of your yeah. head, but um, it, yeah, but, two, two character, two character shows, and and I want to take credit for this. Big match, Takahiro was born. Yes, big match, Takahiro. Um, so he'll be in the, um, he'll be in the Bravegate tournament. So that'll be interesting to see. Yes. If he, I don't think he's going to win, but maybe if he can make a run to the finals or something at least. He's, so uh, you know all the people in that tournament already? Uh, yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I think Jay posted the matchups somewhere. Oh, um, I'm pretty sure it's KZ versus Yamamura in the, in the first round, and I think that's going to be awesome. I'm well, very, to, very excited for that Because I think we do have them. I know there's Casey versus Yamamura. Yeah, all right, I think uh, I got it here. Give me a sec. Loading right now. Yeah, okay. So in Aichi, it is on March 19th. All the It's the quarter the quarterfinals. Ata versus Lindemann. Maria versus Punch. Casey versus Yamamura. And Kagatora versus Drastic Boy. So that'll be interesting. And then the semifinals and finals will be held the following day at the Memorial Gate in Wakayama Show, which means we'll see it in about June, if past year's any indication, unfortunately. Because that's a show that never comes out, except, like, on DVD. Mm. So that's mm-hmm. a little annoying, but what are you going to do? Yeah, we did We did end up getting that show. Well, yeah, but, like, months later, is what I'm saying. Right? Yeah. It was, like, months later, so... Mm-mm. But, um, yeah. but yeah, so that's that. Those are the quarterfinal matches. Inter- interesting though, I would, I would assume, I would assume K. I'll I, top my head, I would think KZ's beating Yamamura, but who who knows? Actually, Yamamura could win that. I think they're probably gonna try doing Linda versus Maria, so they could win their first round matches. Yeah. Um, I think that's exactly what's gonna happen. I think you're right. Mm. No idea with uh, KZ and Kagetora. Pro, I mean, it pro, they're probably gonna do KZ and Kagetora in the second semifinal, which would be awesome. Um, but I could see uh, Yamamura versus Lindemann final. Yeah, it's very possible. It's, I, I think they've done such a good job with Yamamura, though, that I, I think Yamamura can lose to people like to someone like KZ, and it does zero damage. I mean, I, I because they've, they've done such a fine job, it, does, it doesn't really yeah. matter. I think they can knock Yamamura out in the first round, and it won't make a difference. Hmm. But I, it, but it would serve the story to to do again. That's uh, <laughs> I'm back with the story. It would serve the story to do Yamamura versus Lindemann. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying it can happen, but um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. So okay, so let's get into the post match stuff now, I guess. Um, Which is interesting because I didn't watch the post match, so you guys have to fill me in. I have no idea what happened. 
Okay, well, do you... Monday Ryu is an overgeneration yeah, now. Yeah, Monday Ryu is an overgeneration. Well, that's... That's a fart. I mean, that, uh, I waited okay, all this well, time. Okay, before, well, before you say anything else, I will say, when you read it on paper, Monday Ryu in overgeneration is a really weird thing and comes off as a, um, as a letdown. But when you watch it play out, the, so the reason why Shima picked Mondario, he went through these options. He, he says, Shingo, um, you know, he, he says it's time for him to change his stupid hairstyle and get some new ring gear. But having Shingo around wouldn't be fun, so he passed on him. T-Hawk, he said, T-Hawk, he's like, you're, you're new generation, so that fits that requirement. But given the fact that Yamura hates your guts, it wouldn't be a good idea. And then, he, then my favorite one, he brings up Brother Yashi. He's like, in all these years, Shima's never teamed up with him. He likes it that way, and he's sure Yashi feels the same. No one wants to see it either. Pass. So then he's like, okay, that leaves Mondai Ryu. And he's like, yep, we're really selecting Mondai Ryu. And Mondai Ryu complained about this at first, and they went back and forth. But the the reason why they picked him is he's like, Shima admitted he kicked the crap out of him more than anyone. He couldn't help it. It's so much fun. That's what Mondai Ryu is famous for. But there's one incident about a year ago where Shima kicked the crap out of him more than any other, and... That incident is why Mondo used drafted over generation. The King so, of Gate is it the King of Gate match? Yeah, so eight or nine years ago Shima had a hernia in his neck. He couldn't move his left side. Shima then revealed that Mondo has a similar neck injury. Uh Dragon Gate is a fantasy based on reality, and Mondo's neck injury is reality. Um so basically Mondo was like, you know, I've dropped on my head, I had the same injury as Shima and I wasn't able to move. The doctor told him he couldn't wrestle anymore which is why he hasn't been on any cards in a while. Um, he considered surgery and other options that could end his career. He chose to work through it, but the condition hasn't improved. He gets numbness in his arms, and he has a loss of strength. He was ready to retire. Um, then a few days ago, his sister had a baby. The problem child of the Kamada family was now an uncle to the first grandchild of the Kamada family. So whenever he looks at the newborn, it gives him the resolve to return to the ring. Maybe somewhere... There was someone who looks forward to his matches, even if only for that one fan. For that sake, Mondaryu won't, won't, won't give up. And it may take a while, so don't forget about Mondaryu was neck heels and prepares for his comeback. Um, and Shima told him his niece and Mondaryu fans around the world will be waiting for his comeback. When he does, over generation will also be waiting for him. So that's it. It's more of a, um, it's more of a symbolic gesture. Mondaryu said, you know, he's taken aback by all this. Shima asked him to give the closing speech, which he never did before. Um, he has one thing to say to all those attendants. He said he's a shitty wrestler, but an unforgettable wrestler, and vows to return to the ring. So, and he ended with Jana. So it's kind of like, it, I, I will say, when you watch it, it comes off better than it reads. Um, it, it seemed like the fans in attendance were genuinely moved by all this, and, you know, they were very, um, they, they, they responded very well to it. But yeah, I mean, it, how could they not? I feel I feel I feel terrible for shitting on it now. That that was incredible. I'm sitting there thinking yeah. I I sound like the biggest dope because that was awesome. Well, I, I want I can, and now I can't I wait to, for this guy to come back. <laughs> that's why I wanted to cut you off really quickly because I know like on paper it comes off really it sounds really bad. You just hear they picked Monterey, what the fuck? But when you hear the explanation it makes a lot more sense. And, you know, um the only thing I will say is it doesn't really change anything in the unit situation, which it might be a little bit disappointing, and we're still kind of in the same um, stagnant unit situation we've been in for a while. Like, Shima also acknowledged Naraki Doi after the match, and he basically said Doi's still waiting for 
is she know? So like, if we're really gonna get, not gonna get a new unit for that until next year, that's a little upsetting if that's where they're really doing with this. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's the unit situation does feel very stagnant, and this doesn't really change anything. But um, you know, it was a very moving moment. What do you what do you have to say about it, Milo? Anything? The it's kind of I mean. It is a moving moment, but it is kind of flat. Like, it doesn't change anything in the long run. Mondai Ryu is not someone that is ever going to... Like, it's sad to say, but it's... He's not someone that is ever really going to matter that much. Um, He's the... You know, he's a funny sidekick, sure. But... It doesn't change anything to the situation um, of, like, the unit uh, sort of, not really shake-up, because it's, like, it it is very flat right now. Um, But, yeah, it's, it is, I mean, the reason it's touching, it's, it's cute and everything, but it's, like, it's not a very interesting development. Well, yeah, no, I agree, and this is, this is my issue with it, too, is, like, I think you can say it is a, it's a touching moment, it's a cool moment, but if you if you're expecting more, if you're expecting like a real shakeup, it's still a little disappointing. So it's it's tough to say too much about a guy who has a broken neck, but without sounding like an asshole. But um, you know, I just wish they had done something else to get to get Mondai Ryu in this unit and get him. You know, I I guess they don't. The idea is you don't want the fans having to root for this fucking, this guy in this hated heel unit to come, to make his comeback, so I get that, but, um, but yeah, the entire thing was just very, it was a very weird ending of the show, but a very, like, a touching but weird ending, if that makes sense, but, um, but yeah, I don't know, Joe, are you, are you frustrated as we seem to be with where the unit situation's been over the past few months? Um, probably not as frustrated as as you are um i tend to have a little more patience with things like this so so probably not i I, it it could definitely use a bit of shuffling i'm not going to deny that but i'm not it's not the sort of thing where i'm biting my teeth over it and i'm super frustrated about it yeah i just really would like to see them do something with all the unaffiliated guys and especially do something with Tribe Vanguard to get them to either break them up or get them to mean something. I'm so tired. That, that's the one unit that I'd like to see, because that's just not working. Yeah. Um, but, that, so that's basically the Kirkin show. I think we, we all kind of agree. Very, a very good main event. Um, the undercard was kind of just there, but very good main event. So at least watch the main event if you're going to watch anything. I think the main events must watch, especially if you're a hard enough, if you're a hardcore Dragon Gate fan to the point that you're listening to this audio. I mean, it, it's an absolute must. Watch. You cannot miss this. This is a match that you have to see. Yeah. Mm-mm. Milo, any final thoughts or no? No, I think I've said everything I had to say. Okay, <laughs> so let's get into this mailbag where we have a lot of questions. Um, okay, start for Dylan Justin of this very website. The question for all of you guys, where do you see Ben K's realistic ceiling be- being, or what do you see Ben K's realistic scene being 
and where do you think he'll hit it? Um, so do we think Ben K ceiling is Dreamgate champion or something lower, and when do we think we'll, he'll hit that ceiling? Um, you guys go first, because I think I have an interesting take with this, but you can go first, Joe. Okay, so ceiling and floor is kind of a, um, a sports term, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean, like, if, you know, just, just to clarify, if you say someone has a certain ceiling, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a lock to get there. With that said, I do think Ben K's ceiling is absolutely top star in the company. Will he eventually be the top star in the company? I, I don't know, but I do think that's his. Re- I do think that's a realistic ceiling because he has a presence that. Again, I, earlier in the show, I said that his work is a little bit behind some of his peers, but I do think from that unteachable sort of dynamic of you know the, whether you want to call it charisma or presence. He's, a, he's ahead of the rest of them in that regard, and that's often the most important thing. Working with a, with a roster that's this talented, his work is going to come up to an acceptable level. I'm not worried about that because everyone else is so good, and they'll make sure he gets there. But he just has a certain presence that nobody else on the roster has. Uh, and it's interesting because I think if he were in any other company, I'd be saying the same thing. I'd say that he has top star potential. But he really stands out in Dragon Gate because he's so much different than everybody else. With that said, he has a lot of his peer. You know, we're sort of seeing a transition with this company where we're seeing guys like Ben K and Linda and Big R and T Hawk. They're developing a bunch of young mini hosses in this company. It's not this. You know, it's not all speed and flash with these young guys anymore. So he's going to have some peers to work with who can work a similar style as him. And I'll bring a different dynamic to the table. And, uh, you know, I've been, I don't know what they're doing with, with King of Gate this year. I, I really hope it's the same as last year with the block structure. I thought that tournament rocked. I thought it was the highlight of the year for Dragon Gate. But I am just frothing at the mouth for a King of Gate block that has, big, that has Ben K, Big R, Shingo, Linda, uh, T-Hawk, uh, Cybercon, just put all of those guys in one block and let them maul each other until there's one guy left standing. But yeah, I think Ben K's uh, ceiling is is top star in the company. Will he get there? I don't know, but uh, he certainly has the presence and the charisma of of, of a superstar. What do you think, Milo? Uh, I no, I kind of agree. I I don't really. I think he can. I think he can be. Uh, the top star, but I think he's such a long way away from being it that you can't say that he will be for certain. Um, this plays into what my answer would be, though. So it's like we—it's like we don't know what he's like on the mic. We don't know what he's like in in longer singles matches. Um, I think he's definitely someone who has the potential to be a big star, but we've like even though what we've seen of him has been really good for someone um, of you know his um, his level of experience. It's not enough to be able to really pinpoint whether he'll be a big star in in five years or in ten years. It's just not really possible. What I would say for me to has. tell you, I think he, I think he has um, 
the the potential, but I don't know when he'll reach the like his full potential and like be at the top of his game. I just don't know. What I would say of Ben K is so to, this is gonna offend some people and maybe even get Milo to kill me. But what I remember what from his original the hype with him as Fuda Nakamura into Ben K oh remind, reminds me a lot of the hype for Shingo back when Shingo Takagi first debuted in, like, 2005. And, you know, it, it, it sounds weird to say now, but when Shingo first showed up as this, like, big power guy who, like, had some charisma and had a presence about him and was Shima's protege, like, everybody thought he was the absolute lock, future top star, future top of the company guy, future top babyface, and it never really happened for him. Like, if you look at it, he never had that one super over, super long, popular Dreamgate run. It just never happened. I mean, he, he eventually found his calling, I feel like, as a heel, but he never was the top babyface. So that's why it, his, there's enough parallel there with Ben K that I'm almost a little, like, I could see it going in a similar direction where he's, you know, and, and it, you could even say T-Hawk had the same thing happen to him. We have this big dude who's pushes the top star and there's always going to be a certain percentage of Dragon Gate fans especially in Japan that don't want to see the big guy as the, the mm-hmm. top star end up developing even like more sympathy for his smaller opponents even when they, the smaller opponents are heels so like that's my take on Benkei is I would be if I'd be worried about anything I'd be worried about him falling into a trap where it, he's, he might just be too big and too strong, and too, like, you know, um, he, just, he might be too big to be the top Dragon Gate babyface, as weird as that sounds. So, I don't know. We'll see. Though. Like, like like Joe's saying, there are more big dudes to put him up against now than there probably ever have been in the past, which is something. But I worry still that his eventual top ceiling might actually be top heel and not top babyface. Think about this. T-Hawk's I don't even think T-Hawk's a full year older than Ben K, and he made his debut in, like, 2010. So Ben yeah. K also got a late start. That's another thing to think about. Yeah. He's already 25 years old. That is kind of crazy when you think about that, yeah. And, and T-Hawk starting so early, in hindsight, may have been a detriment <laughs> more than anything, where, like, fans feel like he's been around forever when he's still, you know, only 26 or whatever. It's like, you know, I don't know. I, I actually T Hawk's interesting case that we have to discuss completely differently, but it's, whatever. And the reason I thought of that is funny because I was gonna say that I thought that T Hawk was was better at the same stage, but they're they're at the same they're like the same age. You know, yeah. I know stage and age are different, but it just it made me think like I was gonna make that point and then I thought to myself, now wait a minute, they're essentially the same age. So T Hawk is way advanced in terms of bell to bell and things of that nature. Um, and, and I thought Milo made a great point that we have no idea if this guy can talk. We have no idea if this guy can – look, I don't think it's fair yet. Look, he hasn't even been a wrestler for a year, so I, I don't even think um, – we don't know if he can go in a 20-minute singles match, but I don't even think that they expect him to be able to do that yet. But things like being able to talk and things like that, that's something that you know, you're either going to be – it's very rare to be a terrible talker in pro wrestling – and develop into a great one. You can count those guys probably on one or two hands. You either have something like that or you don't. 
So I thought that was an excellent point because we don't know if he has that part of it. And in Dragon Key, that's very important. That matters more than it does in a lot of Japanese companies. So, yeah, for sure. Um, But yeah, so that's... It's interesting. So I think the the consensus is he has a high ceiling, but it's very early. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -mm. So moving on now to Case's question from, of course, our regular co-host. Is Stalker the best comedy wrestler ever? Almost 20 years in his act seemingly has never gotten sale. He's up there. There's very few guys I've enjoyed as a comedy wrestler for as long as I've enjoyed Stalker. So I don't. I, I would say probably he's he's in the top three for sure. I think. What do you think, Joe? I'm not a huge fan of comedy wrestling, but I will say this, and and it, it, it this is going to sound disingenuous because I I actually did skip his match this time, but that was only for time reasons because I was holding holding up the show. He's the one comedy wrestler I never skip. Because his act Ugh. never it, it never gets stale to me. I mean, and and he's and he's one of the few comedy wrestlers where I I find myself legitimately laughing out loud at times at the things that he does. Um, I do think that he, in my opinion, is the greatest comedy wrestler of all time. Yes. Case's Case's second question. He said, "If you guys had to choose a karaoke partner from the DG roster, who would it be?" I'm adding a stipulation to this. I'm saying. Other than Don Fuji, because Don Fuji is such an easy answer, and he's like Mr. Karaoke, mm-hmm. um, you know, car- literally karaoke machine. Um, hmm. I'm, I'm, I was gonna say Yosuke Santa Maria. I think that would be a good time. Me and Maria in a karaoke box, belting out the hits. That's my, that's my choice for a karaoke partner. Okay. What do you think? What do you think, Milo? Oh, Mochizuki. <laughs> That's a good one. He, does he sing can't sing. Song. I know that he can sing, so... Yes, I mean, he does sing his own theme song. Yep. Um, Case, who's your karaoke partner? Or Case, Joe, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on there. I thought Case, <laughs> Case dropped in on the call to answer his own question and put himself over. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> but um, I- I'm a terrible singer. So I think I would take uh, Sachihoku Boy because he's got the broken throat, <laughs> and um, and and that way I would I would come off looking re- you know I have an enormous ego so that way I would be the better I would be guaranteed to be the better singer of the two. <laughs> That's a good answer. Um, okay, there, we had a guy a Brisum Obelisk. He wanted a comparison between the struggles of Dragon Gate and American French politics. I'm going to say we're not going to do that. I would, I would not like to do I pass. I pass. God, God bless you, sir, but no. This, wait a minute. This man wants to tie <laughs> Dragon Gate into American and French political issues? Yeah. Let's, let's not do that. <laughs> I wouldn't even know. I, listen, even if we were going to do that, I would have no idea how to even approach that or tackle that. So, I, yeah, I would say hard <laughs> pass on that one. Um, so the... Hick Kid God V2, um, that, that's his name. To all of you, and I think I'm asking a difficult one, what is your most underrated slash underappreciated match in Dragon Gate history? Um, okay, that is a difficult question. It's a very subjective question. Um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna have to think about this one for a second. So if anyone else has a top of their head idea. Off the top um, of my head, I've got nothing. Milo, if you've got one, go ahead. I I do have one, um, and it's just because it's two guys that I think are criminally underrated, um, both in their tenure in, in Dragon Gate and, you know, by um, by kind of like maybe um, Western fans who don't know as much about them uh, than they know about, you know, the Shingos and Yamatos of the world. Um, and it's uh, Kaidotora versus Tanizaki for the Brave Gate uh, from 2009. I barely, I don't really remember that match, so that's that's a good pick. Yeah. It's a really, really good match. And uh, wait, was it, Naoki was champion, right? Yeah, Naoki. That's okay. the the I match. Do, I right think I, okay, I think I do remember this match then. That was a, it. Was a really, really good match. match. This, yeah, um, tournament final. Yeah. Um, really, really good match. Uh, just like I said, two guys we f- I feel are are a little um, under like un- not maybe underrated, maybe underappreciated would be a better word. Um, especially Naoki. Um, but yeah, I think um, off the top of my head, that's the first uh, first match that really comes to mind. So I, I thought of one, too. Um, I would say, because the World 2007 Triangle Gate match, I love that match. It's probably one of my favorite matches ever, and I feel like no one else even remembers it. The Monster Express against... Uh, not Monster Express. Sorry. Uh, mm. the, the the Muscle Outlaws versus New Hazard. Yeah. And tag. Like That's one of my favorite matches ever, and I feel like nobody even remembers it. So... There you go. There's one for me. Joe, do you think the one? I think instead of a specific match, I would say this. I think that Dragon Gate has so many wild, crazy, insane, like, six- and eight-man tags that just don't register the same with people because they're so common and you see them so often. Um, I remember in 2006 when the Ring of Honor six-man won the match of the year, um, that was 2006, right? It wasn't 2005. Was 2000, yeah, so it was 2006. 2006. I, I was there, and I, I, it was for Mania, the Mania in Chicago. Yeah, and I don't, so. I don't know if you remember at the time, but a, a big talking point when that match won match of the year among the hardcore snarky Dragon Gate fans, uh, myself included, was that that wasn't even the best Dragon Gate six-man match of the year, let alone the best match of the year overall. Um, but, But... You know, when it comes to things like match of the year, other things matter. Atmosphere, time and place. I totally understand why that won match of the year, and I, I think I voted for it, and I would probably vote for it again. But I also agree that there were probably better Dragon Gate matches that year than that match. And that sort of speaks to my point. There's just This is a promotion that pumps out so many quality matches that you kind of get numb to it. And when you get these random six-man tags, on a, on, especially on a, you know, in front of a hot co-working crowd, and maybe they're only third from the top... Uh, you know, it, there's probably so many forgotten four-star matches that this company has pumped out that that uh, I would just say that that overall, um, you know, there, there, there's just probably dozens and dozens of them, and I, I may not be able to remember one specifically. But if you go back and watch old shows, you know, you'd probably be blown away by wow, I, you know, I remember this match now, and this match was awesome. Why haven't I thought about this since 2008? You know what I mean? Remember, so, were, weren't you guys on the? I think on the VOW flagship once you just talked about how 
if you dropped like some of these fucking like four star like third from the top Dragon Gate Kirk and Six Mans onto Raw, like it, people would like lose their fucking mind. People would go fucking bonkers. It's 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 that's the thing. I think when I watch Dragon Gate and I re- when I more specifically when I review Dragon Gate, I think I'm harder on Dragon Gate in terms of like, you know, stupid star ratings and things like that than I am on any other promotion in the world because I think that the the bar is set so high that, you know, sometimes these matches that it, 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 there's sort of a, a curve and I don't know that it's fair, but you know, if you take the same exact match, move for move, that I might give three and a quarter stars in Dragon Gate, like I, like you just said, you know, you plop that into a Raw main event, people would be talking about some of these matches for years and years and years. I really believe that, and and, and you know, they'd be talked about like like all time classic, you know, WWE television matches. So yeah, that that's actually a, a, a great way to to pound home the point I'm making. I I think that that drag the Dragon Gate bar is just so high that I think. Uh, uh, you know, there's dozens and dozens of matches that they've had over the years that none of us could ever remember that were just random mid-card six-man matches that were probably, you know, four-star range bouts that just, they just fall through the cracks because of the depth. There was that, there, if you go back and watch um, the the entire year of 2011, probably, too, was a good one, where it's like, there were so many just amazing matches in that Junction 3 versus Blood Warriors feud that they all kind of blend together, I think, for a lot of people. And like, there are matches that no one even remembers that were probably like fantastic. Like, remember that? Remember that match when um when when they first brought Tozawa back on that first Korokin, and like it was like the main event with like an impromptu mm-hmm. twelve man or something. Like that match mm-hmm. was nuts. And I I can't remember thinking about that more than like you know a couple times in my whole life because just they were pumping them out like every month at that point. So, like, even beyond what you're saying in general for Dragon Gate, I think that year of 2011 was just, like, it's just such a blur of just amazing matches in that feud. But, but yeah, that was a, that was a great question. The guys in that, and that was a, got a good discussion going. Um, okay, so here's a brace of obelisk again, trying to make up with a more serious question than the political one. Um, what would you do slash have done with Berserk to make them better and a better threat? Milo, <laughs> do you have any thoughts on this? Silence. <laughs> I mean, how can how can you make them a better threat? I mean, they they've dominated well, they at the times. Time. They went all so they went all the fucking time. Yeah, yeah. The, the threat part is not really a good thing. I mean, they they haven't had a lot of titles lately, but they 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 won every cork I mean, for like eight straight months or something. Like they, they're they're a threat. And Shingo has um, just terrorized the company. I mean, so yeah. I, I'm not sure uh, where he's coming from, or he or she, I don't know who asked that question, is really coming from yeah. that. But as far as better, I think... I, I think they needed to do a better job. First of all, the transition from Doi leaving... like every, To me, there's a clear line. Once they lose Doi, that's where Berserk goes from just like... I liked Berserk all the way up through losing Doi, and lo- even when other people were getting sick of it already. And when I lost Doi, like, something clicked for me, because what you were left with was basically Shingo Takagi, you know, T-Hawk, who I've enjoyed his heel work to a degree, but he's just kind of there a lot of the time. Linda Mann, who, you know, I think it was Jay who just said, like, Linda Mann's ador- so adorable, he's almost tough to 
take seriously as a serious heel. And I like Linda May a lot, but I don't know if he works for me in Berserk that well. And then you have, you know, Brother Yashi, who's good, but he's not a serious thing. You have Cyber Kong, who's Cyber Kong. You know, what does he have to say about him at this point? And, it's just, and you have, you know... Um, now you have Punch Tomonaga, who has, who's kind of crap. I mean, just there's just nothing there for people to really grasp onto. And, like, I'm trying to think of the right... Like, it sounds weird to say, because, but it's, it's true. In Dragon Gate Heal units, there's usually a guy there who people can point to and be like, well, I like this guy. So even though the heal unit wins all the time, even though they might cheat all the time, I like watching Naruki Dory wrestle. I like watching Yamato wrestle. In Mad Blanky, you had Dory and Yamato. You know, you, just, you keep going back. And this was the big problem, I think, with the the worst heel unit in Dragon Gate history, which was Deep Drunkers, where they had nobody there people could point to and be like, well, yes, they have all this crap and all this interference and all this, you know, some garbage wrestlers, but there's a, there's a couple guys that I really like. Who do you really like watching in this current Berserk? I guess maybe, like, the best argument you can make maybe is Linda Man and... Linda Man is not a likable character, you know? And I get it, you want your hero unit to be... You want your hero unit to be dislikable, so it sounds weird, but if you look at the history of Dragon Gate hero units, there is a weird likability to them, and there is a weird likability to at least one or two guys at a time. And Berserk, ever since Dory's been gone, they just haven't had it. And, you know, the crowd... It, it's, it's obvious in the way the crowd just sits on their fucking hands when Berserk comes out now. And... It's just, it doesn't work. So there's something there. Like, they need another guy. They need a solid number two behind Shingo, who the crowd actually kind of likes and is kind of willing to put up with the rest of this crap to have this guy in there. And they just don't have anything like that right now. You're right. It's, so. it's Shingo and his band of lackeys is basically what it is. It's time. Right. And, the crowd does, and the crowd doesn't like Shingo, so you're, which is fine for a top heel, but, like, you you, st- you want to have someone a little more likable in there, a little more recognizable than, like you said, just Shingo and his band of lies. And who's someone who people might think could turn on him at some point or get tired of his of his shit. Yeah. But you know, who 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 in there do you do you feel like is going to turn on Shingo? I mean, you, there's really nobody. There's nobody, T-Hawk. and Lindemann, it's too soon. Yeah, T Hawk would be the one. That's yeah, that would be it. But but the crowd doesn't the crowd really hates him too. So. And it'd be too soon because his his babyface thing didn't really work, and you're kind of letting him simmer a little. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I mean, so that'd be my answer is they need to get a, another likable person in there. They shouldn't have had Doi leave when Doi left. I think it's another like the people that are behind Doi just weren't ready for that role. So like yeah, I, that that I, I would have kept Doi in there longer. I would have done Yamato Doi with Doi still in Berserk, and. I guess that's my answer. But they didn't know that Yoshino was going to get hurt. And it's gonna, it was supposed to lead up to something with Dory and Yoshino, so I get it. But, but um, yeah. I don't, it, it's a tough situation. Yeah. What are you going to say, Milo? No, I was just going to say, I'm just waiting for them to disband. <laughs> Milo's completely not here for giving them improvement tips. Milo just wants them to go away, basically. Um, okay. So, Joe, do you have anything, any thoughts on this, or how they could improve? No, I mean, like I said, they've been dominant, and Shingo has terrorized the company, and, and I think is a tremendous lead heel. So I don't know um, from the perspective of I, I, I would need to I, I need more I need to know specifically what what he's looking for in the question. And I'm just a little confused by it. So no, I think we I, we can move on. Okay, so the next question is from 
my buddy Taylor, uh, t- at T-A-M-A-I-M-B-O. Um, shout out to Taylor, who's coming on the August trip in Japan. Very excited for that. Um, what American or European wrestler who's never been in DG would be the best fit with the current roster? Um, you know, um, didn't we get this question on, like, the first or second episode way back might have. last year? We might have. I'm pretty I don't sure remember what our, sure I don't remember what our answers were. And I, um, I, I remember who I said, and I'm just going to say it again. Okay, go ahead. Um, so I had two people. The first was uh, Mike Bailey, Speedball. Yeah. The second was ACH. Those are both good people. I'm going to go really off the board here. And this, is, this might be because of the Ring of Honor 50 thing reminded me of this, but, like, a guy I think would have worked surprisingly well is, like, Ring of Honor era Tyler Black. Like, I think no. he... Yeah, no. I think he had, like... Okay. I think he had, like, a, a weird charisma to him. And oh, wait, that was fact, before he fought the Nazi, right? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> Ring of Honor era Tyler Black, I think he could have really fit in well there. And maybe it would have all been spared his WWE run, which has been pretty terrible. Post-Shield, in my opinion. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. That's my pick. Do you have a pick on this, Joe? ACH was going to be one of my picks. I think that's a great one. I think he'd fit in like a glove and just have so much fun and just be a great addition. Um, Leo Rush is another one I think um, would do very well. Uh, Leo Rush, I I heard he's evolving. He is evolving, and, and uh, Gabe took down that Facebook post, but it's a little too late to put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know what I'm saying? So he must have gotten in trouble for putting that out there, but it's out there now. So um, What the fuck is Ring of Honor? Ring of Honor is an, it's an absolute shit show. You know, I mean, you know, you let Jack slip through the cracks. Now a guy like Leo Rush, I guess now it makes sense that Leo Rush lost to Marty Skrull the other night. Maybe that was his goodbye. I have no idea what they're doing. I, I just don't. Um, but yeah, I think Leo Rush would, 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 do, would do great, like especially put him in a, give him maybe a Brave Gate feud with somebody. I mean, that would just be tremendous. Let him go out there and, 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 and do his flips and do all the things he's great at. Um, another person who I think, this, this I think is an interesting pick because it's from the perspective of, I think it would do this wrestler well to come to Dragon Gate so that he could refine his game and improve, and that would be Sammy Guevara. I think Sammy Guevara would, would, is, the, is the perfect guy to come in, do a couple tours with Dragon Gate for a year, and then be a much better and more sound worker coming out of it. Because I think we've seen guys come in and out of Dragon Gate and just improve tremendously. I mean, the best example to point to is Pac. Um, you know, his, his, he was a very spotty worker pre-Dragon Gate, and then he came out of there super refined and better than ever. And uh, the last one, of course, I've got to poke the bear a little. How can I not bring up Will Ospreay? I mean, <laughs> come on. I mean, who doesn't want to see uh, uh, young Will uh, mixing it up with, with this? It'd be a bunch of fresh matches, too. I don't think he's faced practically anyone on the roster. I don't think he's faced a single guy on the Dragon Gate roster. So, I, come on, i got to throw Will in there. Milo, I'm sure, is very much in agreement. This has been way too cordial. We have to argue about something. I <laughs> you mean, know, you better sleep with one eye open. 
Listen, I, I this is this has been way too cordial. I've I've been expecting the knife attack at some point. Well, well Milo did yell at you like one time. Yeah, I mean, the- I guess you could bring <laughs> Will Osprey to Dragon Gate only if you want to highlight how outclassed he would be by everyone else. Hey, you know okay. what? You might then you should be pulling for that because you'd have some fodder to work with. How about this? I think a Will Osprey Shingo tag team would be tremendous, and I'm not just saying that to troll. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, I think they've got, they'd have that power-speed dynamic thing going, and I think Osprey would be a tremendous heel in Dragon Gate because he's, he could bring that cocky edge to the table, and, and, you know, he could eat Shingo's pins. I think it would work. I think it would work out great. I really think they'd be a tremendous heel team. Listen, there's your team to take down Shima and Dragon Kid, right? Bring in Will. <laughs> New Japan's not doing a thing with him anyway, so bring in Will. Okay, team him up with Shingo. There's your, there's your number two man. In, this solves so many problems. There's your number two man in Berserk. There's your team to take down Shima and Dragon Kid. I think it's perfect. <laughs> um, so before Milo like, actually tries to find a way to kill you on the air, we should move on to... Uh, well, I, okay, here's Iron Mike Spears, of course, our co-host... He wants to know who would be the best person on the roster to cover for me on my accounting midterm. Um, obviously, with those glasses, Susumu. I mean, those glasses just scream smart man right there. So, Jimmy Susumu is the answer, I think. Nobody else has an answer on this? Oh, Milo might be on an airplane to, to Houston or something. I don't... <laughs> but, so, I guess I'll go next. But, um, you know, you'd you think, who would be good at math, right? And it's like, for whatever reason, and I I have no basis for this whatsoever, I feel like Masato Yoshino would be good at math. Um, If you're going to ask me why I think he'd be good at math, I have no answer for you. But he just strikes me as a guy who, you know, was helping people out with, like, their calculus homework. And I I just, I I can't put a finger on why. So we got Yoshino, we got Susumu. What do you think, Milo? Did, did Milo, like, actually just... Milo? Okay. I don't know what happened. Did Milo really just, like, vanish after that? I have no idea. It is Milo on the call? <laughs> uh, okay, well... <laughs> Milo. Okay, I don't... Milo's still on the call, according to this, but I don't know if they... Maybe they they might have thrown their headset down in disgust when you were like, when you were doing all that shit with Shingo and Osprey. It's an interesting development. So, okay. So let's just move on. Um, the wrestling guru asked a question: Could the DG brand of wrestling see an evolution in coming years with the rise of Shingo, Shimizu, Benkei, etc., a transition from high fly to a more power based style? I think we kind of covered this already. Yeah, right? I kind of yeah. talked about that a little with Ben K. I mean, when even T Hawk, Linda, um, um, Big R, yeah, they have a nice young crop of power juniors coming up. So I do sort of see a, a, a style shift. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, <laughs> that's really they're going to have to do something because they're clearly going to have a lot more of the faster. I mean, of the, of, the, of the, you know, the more powerful guys than they've ever had in the past, where, you know, they're going to be mixing it up with the faster guys. 
Okay. So I'm a little thrown here by Milo's sudden disappearance. I apologize. But um, hopefully they return here to say goodbye at least because we're reaching the end of the show here. That's basically all the questions we have. Um, thank you to everybody who sent in questions. And we can basically wrap it up here, I think. Um, <laughs> we can call quickly the, the matches they made. They made a, couple, a bunch of matches for the, the next Hurricane, which is April 7th. Um, it's a Friday, actually. And they've made a Jimmy Kness, Jimmy Kagatora, and Jimmy Kanda match against KZ, y- Yuki Yoshioka, and Katsumi Takashima. It was basically brought by the Jimmy's. Jimmy's yelling at the young guys and KZ standing up for them at the last Hurricane, so we're getting a six man out of this. That should be fun. Yeah, sounds pretty good. good yeah. Um, we also get Osaka 06 having, or Zero Roku as it is, having their big, their big reunion against El Lindeman and Punch Tomonaga. Um, I am weirdly excited for the Punch Gamma interactions. Um, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting match to me. I'm not it's not going to be good, obviously, but just it'll probably be some good comedy, and that'll be something. Shima Lindeman too will have some interesting interactions, given that Lindeman kind of started as a Shima protege, so um, that'll be interesting. I love the Lindeman pronunciation. Lindeman. Why is it, isn't that how it's supposed to be pronounced? I say Lindeman. You say Linda uh, Man. What? 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 How is it supposed? To, I thought you were like doing shtick. No, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm just pronouncing it. Wrong maybe I'll listen. Time. I don't pronounce anything right. So John, <laughs> John, you should really not be taking pronunciation advice from a man who says Kajetora. Yeah, I, I can't pronounce anything, so I'm definitely Milo, wrong. Milo as Rose of the Dead. <laughs> to say, it, Milo, what is it? Is it Linda Man or Lindaman? It's Linda Man. It's Spanish. So now we got a third one in the mix. I love it. But okay. basically, it's more Lin- Lindeman than Lindeman. Okay. Like more okay. emphasis on the second syllable because it it is Lindaman in Spanish. You have okay. you have no idea how terrified I was to say Sachi Hoku boy because I still don't know if I'm <laughs> saying that right. And I've been I've been saying that for years. I have no idea. Sachi Hoku. Yeah, it's Sachi Hoku. Oh, so I, I got that one right. Yeah, you pretty much did, yeah. All right. Like, whenever whenever you break down any Japanese name, like, whenever you see anything with S-H, whatever, that's, like, one syllable. So, she, sha, sho, shu. And then the same thing, chi is always one syllable. And then everything else. Because, obviously, most other Japanese characters are, like, two-syllable characters, but those are, like, the big exceptions. Is anything involving she or chi. So, anyway... Um, Takahiro Yamamura against T-Hawk is another match that's booked for the next Hurricane and that one I'm pretty excited for I think that could be a really good match you know Yamamura selling his ass off for T-Hawk and making the big fiery comeback in Hurricane I think it'll be good yep yeah that's going to be awesome Joe do you have any thoughts on Yamamura yeah I'm just thinking about how I think T-Hawk is in danger too of a lot of people potentially passing him by long term. I mean, he just has to. There's just something missing there on the charisma end of it. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think he'll always be 
like an upper mid card guy probably, and that might be end up being his ceiling. But the fact that he's really failed to be a strong number two in Berserk is not, I'm sure, not winning him any favors right now. But I guess we'll see what happens. And in the main event, the Open the Triangle Gate title match, it's going to be the winners of the March 20th, um, the the Memorial Gate title match, which right now that match is scheduled to be um, Doi, Benkei, and Shimizu, right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. They're challenging the um, the Berserk team. That's a that's a beefy title match right there. Sad we're not going to get it for a few months probably on tape. But the winners of that match, which I assume will be Berserk, but I guess you never know, they're defending against Genki, Horiguchi, Jimmy Susumu, and Jimmy Saito. So the original Jimmy's title team, before Genki had to step down due to the injury, they got their rematch here. So that should be a really... First of all, anytime you have a title match in Kurikin, it's almost always awesome. So I wish they did them more often, actually. They have all these belts. They really I, I get why they don't, because they feel like they don't need them to draw in Kurikin, which is true, because Kurikin's like such an automatic sellout for Dragon Gate, but like, whenever you do a t- When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.